0: Thank you On Date with the Night with a legendary DJ, artist, rapper, and producer whose hit song Perfect, Exceder Mix, is going viral again after its use in the 2023 film Saltburn, directed by Emerald Fennell. I'm so stoked to be speaking to none other than the Princess Superstar. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so excited to be speaking to you because I've been such a huge fan of you. All my life, pretty much. And yeah, it's just an honor to be speaking to you today.
1: Well, that's amazing. I love your um, Instagram account. It's so good. Thank you so much. It's really fun to run because
0: I get to post about artists that I've loved all my life. And you're one of those artists. And I'm wondering what your musical influences were growing up to start.
1: I was really raised by hippie parents. And so we were listening to a lot of 70s music, you know, 60s and 70s, classic rock and all that. But they were also really into the R&B of the time too, like Stevie Wonder. And I was a teenager in the 80s. So that was like such an incredible time for music. Um, I first discovered hip hop and loved Blondie and, you know, she was rapping and, I still didn't think I would ever become a rapper. (laughs) That was just a weird thing that happened to me. (laughs) uh, An
0: amazing thing that happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But I mean, I've always been like extremely eclectic in my tastes. And it really reflects in my own music because I'm rapping, but then I also like love electro. And then some of my songs are straight rock you know? Yeah. So, yeah.
0: So how did you get started in music?
1: I was in New York in the early 90s, you know, living on the Lower East Side and I was playing guitar actually in bands. And there was like an amazing indie rock scene that was happening there at the time, you know, like bands like John Spencer Blues Explosion and stuff like that. And I was listening to hip hop though all the time. And so even though I was like in an indie rock band, I was like, wanting to rap and I was in this all girl band and I wasn't the singer and this I was like, Oh, do you think I could like try rapping one of our songs? And she was like, Ew, no. <laughs> and I I eventually like quit the band, even though I was terrified to go out on my own. I was like, I could only really just be a guitar player. <laughs> like, but I started rapping and like everyone's like, You're really funny. And I was like, I am and, and they were like, Yeah. And I was like, oh maybe, maybe I could do this. And um before there was LCD Sound System, there was this band called Pony, and they were really bad. James Murphy was in it, and I'm sure he doesn't mind me saying that they sucked. You know? <laughs> we used to all play the same venues. Anyways, the lead singer of this band, Pony, like left his four-track recorder, which is like, some of you young kids don't know what a four-track is, and it's just like a way to have four different tracks on a cassette. It's how we used to make music you know, before Pro Tools or any of that. Anyways, this guy, his name was Dallas. He left a four track recorder in my house and um, I started using it. I started like putting samples on it and like rapping over it. And it was really crude and really bad. But that was kind of like how Princess Superstar was born.
0: That's incredible. How did you come upon the name Princess Superstar? Like what's the lore behind choosing your moniker?
1: Well, I had this like vintage drum set that I found. It was a toy drum set and it said Superstar on it. It's from the 60s. I was trying to come up with a name and my boyfriend at the time was like, oh, you should call yourself Superstar. And I was like, no, it has to be more obnoxious and over the top and like ridiculous. (laughs) And then that's when I came up with Princess Superstar. (laughs) You talk about
0: going out on your own, like that must have been kind of scary at first. What was that moment where you felt like super confident in your choice and super happy with the decision you made?
1: It was a long road, really, because in the beginning, I was like really terrified. I had my first gig at the pyramid on Avenue A, which is where Madonna first got her first gig. And um, I remember it was like at two in the morning. Oh, and the reason why I even had the gig was I had mailed off a little cassette that I had made called Mitch Better Get My Bunny, which was like a play on (laughs) bitch better get my money. And uh, I sent it to Grand Royal, the Beastie Boys label, and the guy who, was like from LA and he was like, I'm coming to New York, do you have a show? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I made this show at the Pyramid and he never showed up. Like I never got signed to Grand (laughs) Mile. And I, I stood there like stiff, like I couldn't move and I was rapping. It was terrifying. I was terrified to perform live, but I just kept doing it. And I guess I was really like vindicated when CMJ College Music Journal, which was like a big music, paper back then. I'm not sure if it even exists. But anyway, they printed my name and phone number in the back and said that my demo was like unbelievable. And then all these labels started calling me. Nobody signed me, which is why I started my own label. But I guess that was kind of when I was like, oh, like maybe I am like, okay, you know, but it took many years to actually be confident, I would say.
0: What was it like having your first hit, like your first hit song? What was that like for you?
1: Well, that was such a long time coming because you see, I started in 1994 and then the hit happened going into 2001. And that was Bad Babysitter, correct? Exactly. So it was really funny because the British press were like, oh my God, overnight success. And I was like, oh my God, bitch, please. I've been (laughs) touring in a stinky van with like five farting guys, you know, like for (laughs) five years. (laughs) But uh, yeah, that was unbelievable because like I still remember when I could like quit my day job. Like, you know, it's just like I just wanted to quit my day job. That was it, you know?
0: That's really, really cool. You have a really cool story and congratulations for all the accolades and just stuff that you've done because I remember when that song came out, my brother and I would sing that all the time. I had never even been kissed before. I'd never gone to a party, (laughs) but I remember babysitting and like singing that song to myself like... I'm a bad babysitter, got my boyfriend in the shower. Ooh, I'm making six bucks an hour. It's such like a great song. It's so funny too. And that's one thing I've always loved about you is your music's very sexy, but it's very funny. And you are a really, really funny person. How did you sort of decide, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna combine humor and infuse that into my songwriting.
1: I guess I felt like all the great artists at the time that I really looked up to were doing that. Like in the 90s, even Lil' Kim, her first record, Hardcore, in 1995, like, she was funny as hell. Like, she was saying, like, you know, eat the molasses out my asses, you know? (laughs) Me and my friends would just, like, die, you know? And I was like, there's nothing better than mixing sex with humor. That is just so great. And so... That was a big influence, Little Kim. I always used humor as a way to like deal with pain or like being upset or depression or anything. So yeah. like, I guess I just gravitated towards that. Yeah, I don't know how it happened exactly, but that is just my brand, I guess.
0: When you were making Bad Babysitter, did you know like, okay, this is a hit. People are going to love this or? Actually,
1: I was really going through a hard time and I was like kind of depressed. And I was like, I'll just write a song that like makes me laugh. Yeah. And I wrote the first draft and it really sucked. And then the second really sucked. And I would just take the best lines. And I actually wrote that 10 times. Like it took me a long time. I didn't have any idea. Of course, you always hope as an artist, like, I would play it for friends and they'd be like, oh, my God, this is hilarious. But no, you have no concept, especially understand this was like my fourth record. So, you know, you can't really think like, oh, I'm going to blow up now. Like you didn't blow up for the last three records. Yeah. (laughs) So it came as a shock. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I just see with Gen Z that they really embrace that kind of humor that you have in your music. Mm. And I think it's really interesting that you know, a song like Perfect is blowing up on TikTok. It's super viral. It's a great song, by the way. It's such an iconic song. And then you've had your song used in this 2023 film Salt Burn, which has also brought a new audience. How does this make you feel to have like a new generation discovering and loving your music?
1: Really surreal. Cause first of all, too, like time is so strange. Like I can't even believe that this song was like from 17 years ago. I'm like, wait, what? Wait, I. Yeah. Because like I feel like I'm still a teenager, you know. So I'm yeah. just like, what's happening? But it's surreal and it's wonderful and very unexpected, much the same as that babysitter. Just because, for example, you know, you get hit up as an artist for people to use your song in many things. And I have licensed that song many different times and to different film, TV, people to remix it, whatever. So, you're just like, ah, here's just another request. (laughs) You know, like the salt berm one came in. It's an email. That's what you're looking at. You're looking at an email, you're looking at names. I didn't know who these people were. I'm not because I'm not English. And so I was just like, okay, sure. Yeah, use it. Yeah. (laughs) It's awesome. It's a Christmas present. (laughs)
0: Yeah. There's a lot of artists that have songs from 17 years ago or 10 years ago who are surprised to see the new virality of their music via TikTok. And I wonder what you think as a
1: musician yourself, of TikTok. I love TikTok, actually. I mean, I worry about like China spying on us or whatever. (laughs) But like, (laughs) what are they gonna see me do? Like, you know, doing the fucking box dance with my 12-year-old? Like, I I mean, that's, you know. And at first I really wrote it off because I was just like, oh, my 12-year-old likes TikTok. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's Mm -hmm. not for me. But then I started posting on there and then I was like, oh, shit. Like, I put bad babysitter up there, went to half a million. And I was like, whoa. Like, and people are like, oh, it's connecting me back to my childhood and uh, so, in a way, TikTok is even more fun than Instagram. I would say, even though I love Instagram, but like TikTok, there's there's just something else going on there. And I am having people be like, "I just heard your song for the very first time in Saltburn, and now it's like I'm listening to it every day, and it's really wild." Like watching my Spotify numbers go up and everything. I just think it's super cool. And I actually am an artist that has fun making content. I know a lot of artists don't and I talk to them and they hate it and they're like embarrassed. But like I actually have fun making my content. And I guess it probably comes through. Yeah.
0: You mentioned Spotify. It's major Spotify numbers go up. What are your views of
1: Spotify as a musician? If you don't care about money, then it's great, you know, because it yeah. does get you out there in different ways with the playlists and everything. Like it's awesome. I'm on the Saltburn playlist, I'm on like every freaking gym. You know, like every gym playlist has Perfect Exeter on it. It's so funny. But yeah, like financially, it's a disaster. Like it's hard to be an artist in this day and age. I mean, I certainly made lots of money in the 2000s, you know? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about. That's when hype meant money. Yeah. Now it's like hype, no money. (laughs) Yeah. That's
0: what I don't like about Spotify. In some ways, I think it gives... Fans, This false sense of like, oh, well, my favorite artist has like millions of listens on Spotify. So they must be maybe doing okay. Yeah, I think Spotify tricks people into thinking that people are making more off their music than they are based on listenership. So I wanted to also ask you in that same breath. What do you feel about AI as an artist?
1: I think it's horrible. I'm like the complete opposite of Grimes. You know, Grimes is like, yeah, let's do it. Let's just all be robots and go to Mars. But I don't like it because I don't want anybody like putting words in my mouth. Yeah. It's very important to me. (laughs) I don't know if you know the whole perfect Exceder saga, but like they kind of cut me out of the video and they put these three models and it was just like, oh God, what the fuck? It's like I already feel like taken advantage of or like pushed out or something because my brand is my brand. And like that video is not my brand. You know, that was like an Eric Pridd's call on me moment in history when like everyone was making this video. Yeah. Like, it was never a princess superstar, though. I guess it's like I like to control what's being said, what's being made. Yeah, I'm not into it.
0: Yeah, I was going to bring up Grimes because she has a positive outlook on it, but she has lots of money and lots of <laughs> influence to just like do whatever she wants. Whereas I think for up and coming new artists, people who you know don't have Elon Musk money behind them, <laughs> it's <laughs> it does worry me just because they will be using the work of yourself to create works that are getting popularity based on another person's creative art, I guess mm-hmm. is my problem with it even just with AI-generated images, sometimes now I'm looking at an image and I'm like, is that AI-generated? Like I'm starting to get like a little yeah. bit of like reality,
1: yeah, existential yeah. dread, right? <laughs> yeah, this morning this happened to me because I was looking at Street Art Globe, you know, on yeah. um, Instagram. And it was like all the most amazing places on earth. Everyone in the comments was like, yeah, if you're like AI, like or using Instagram filter, they were sort of like augmenting The images. I left a funny comment, which maybe only you will get. But one of the places was Ghent in Belgium. And that's where too many DJs are from. And so I said, yes, Ghent should be on this top 10 list, but only because of too many (laughs) many DJs. Oh, my
0: gosh, I'm gonna go and like that comment right after this episode. I feel like maybe with AI, I don't know, I imagine myself living in like a Cronenberg existence world where I don't know what is reality and what is like (laughs) virtual whatever. It just worries me in some ways. (laughs) It is something that kind of leads into what I wanted to talk about with your song, Perfect, because you mentioned in the video that there was a saga behind it. (laughs) Yeah. For listeners, for people who don't know the story... What happened there?
1: Oh, good question. I mean, basically, so I made this record in 2005 called My Machine, and it had all the most amazing producers on it from Stuart Price, who's lay Rhythm Digital, and Todd Terry, Armand Van Helden, Arthur Baker was the executive producer. It was like the epitome of rap meets electro clash meets future. For me it's my favorite record that I did.
0: It's one of my favorites of yours too. Oh, Kuchiku. thank you. Yeah, yeah. World exactly. Council Entertainment Dictatorship <laughs> and like just all the songs on that like the classroom and I like it a lot. Like such a great album.
1: Thank you. I mean, you know, I told you I was raised on classic rock. Like that was my Tommy, you know, the who did like a theater piece, you know, yeah. concept album. Yeah. So anyways, did that, and it was not successful. The record label that I was on, K7 Records, pulled my tour support in the middle of tour. I had to cancel my tour. Oh, shit. Oh, God, it was devastating. And I had put together like this whole theatrical show that was so cool, costume changes, and like, oh, my God, it was really cool. But what we did think was that Perfect was a single, but it was a hip-hop song. Yeah. And it was actually produced by Mighty Mai, who had produced Bad Babysitter. And we put out Perfect, and it had an acapella on it, because that's what you did when you were a hip-hop person, you put your acapellas on your record. So I, a hip-hop person, (laughs) I don't know, I just made that up. I love it. (laughs) Anyway, so um, yeah, and then like a year later, somebody from Ministry of Sound got in touch and we're like, you know, somebody's made this perfect Exceder over Mason's Exceder. I was DJing also at the time, and I already loved Exceder. Like, that was such a cool club track at the time. and. Ministry was like, we wanna sign this and we think it can be a huge hit. And um, I was like, oh, cool. And I loved it when I heard it. I was like, oh, this is dope. I signed a contract with them. And in the contract, it says, artist has full creative control over video, cover, you know, any of that. Yeah. And I was like, great. So they paid the money, you know, and it was a nice check and they just made the video. Like they made the video and put it out and never once asked me what I thought of the video or like ran anything by me. It was the most surreal experience.
0: I can only imagine. Yeah. Especially because like your persona, your look, your attitude is what made me love Bad Babysitter.
1: Right. Like why would you cut an artist out? And especially like I was such a very precise artist putting out a record, like my machine, yeah, you know what I mean? It's not like I was like a wallflower who like didn't want to be in videos or something like it was it was weird, and
0: the song "My Machine" is very kind of about a person's work and their artistry and how that kind of interacts with technology and I don't know, it felt kind of like this weird irony about how that was taken from you,
1: yeah, actually, Grimes tweeted exactly that, like she tweeted maybe in two thousand ten or something that my machine was like ahead of its time in the sense of like she said it predicted much or something like that.
0: Yeah. I agree completely. She can be right about some
1: things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Thank you, Grimes. I no, I, I like Grimes. I just Me too. Me I too. just don't um yeah, subscribe to the AI thing. But anyway, yeah, so that's that. And then I, I would I called up the head of Ministry of Sound. I was crying. I was like, you don't understand. Like this is not me. Like if anything, I would make fun of this kind of video. Yeah. He's like, I'm so sorry. My hands were tied or something, like, you know, passed it off. And then they also sent, quote unquote, Princess Superstar on tour. Those three models, like singing. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) lip syncing. Oh, my God. And doing a little dance thing. And that was Princess Superstar. And they sold it. You know what it was like? It was like they bought my song, like as if I was like Coke, you know, like a Coca-Cola and they made it theirs and they took me out of the equation. Yeah. And it's so crazy too, because like to this day, like the song's no longer on Ministry of Sound, but like to this day, like whenever they would post it on Instagram or um, TikTok, they would never tag me.
0: Yeah. Because they know what they did. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They did you dirty (laughs) and they're cowards. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, look, here's the other perspective, right? Maybe the song wouldn't have blown up as much if I was in the video and they didn't do that thing because people love that fucking video. They love it. They grew up on it. They were kids. Like it means something to them. Like so many people write to me that it was their gay awakening. <laughs> like, yeah. you know. And so I try to just like be zen about it. I forgave the guy. I mean, he's just trying to make money. Like all corporations are. Yeah. I can't hold on to resentment because that just kills me as an artist. Yeah. And like I said, it went on to become extremely successful. So maybe everything happened the way that it was supposed to, as painful as it was.
0: Yeah, exactly. Do you feel a bit more vindicated now that the song is going viral and people are looking at you versus like these three people that they kind of sent out (laughs) to represent you,
1: I guess. (laughs) I do. I mean, that's really nice because actually I didn't even think about that. So thank you for saying that because now I do feel (laughs) like, oh, yeah, people are looking at me and they are listening to like my story and feeling like, wow, that sucks. Like, you know, and yeah, I guess you're right. In a way, it has come full circle and the record company that it's on now, which is Armada Music, like they tag me, you know? (laughs) Exactly. Well, that's what you do. That's the least you deserve. So,
0: yeah, nobody remembers those three. Like, no offense to the three people they sent out to lip sync your songs. But, yeah, everyone is like focusing on you. How did you kind of come up with this song in the first place? Like, what was the inspiration behind this song?
1: Well, it fit into a bigger picture of that record, My Machine, which was set in the future where there's this one like egomaniac who becomes the only star on the planet. So she like occupies all the chart positions for music, all the bestseller lists. It's only her and her army of clones. Yeah. Kind of like a sci-fi story about fame, really. I can't remember exactly, but I think it's like one of the clones is like, I'm perfect. You know, nobody can touch me. But it was like, ironic If that makes sense. Like, also, by the way, is why that video thingy was so painful, because there was no irony in it. It was just like, (laughs) I'm perfect, you know, which is fine. (laughs) Like, I think that's really fun, too. But originally, the intention was more like somebody who thinks they're perfect, but they're like, kind of not. Have you seen Saltburn? Have you seen? No, but I'm so excited because it actually comes out. I don't know when this airs, but it's coming out tomorrow. So the 20... Twenty second, twenty second, yeah, coming out tomorrow, streaming everywhere. You'll love it. Oh, you seen it? It's like a very kind of
0: dark but glitter glam version of Talented Mr. Ripley. I won't give too much away, but there's like that element of obsession, and it was a really good use of your song, and even the lyrics kind of connect to sort of. Oh, the thematic I'm excited. Elements. I think you're gonna really, really like it. Great. Well, I'm gonna watch it on Amazon Prime. <laughs> it's very two thousands too. It's like it takes place in two thousand six and two thousand seven, so. It's very, very apt to, I guess, my page.
1: Yeah. And I heard like Lady Tron's on the soundtrack and yep. murder on the dance floor. Yeah.
0: There's an element of it, of the film that reminds me of Beau Travai and you're just going to love it. I can't wait for you to see it. You're going to be really happy, I think, with the way that your song was used in the film. I kind of wanted to talk about you coming up in this era of when this moniker came about called Clash. What was it like coming up in a time when this was a genre that formed? Like, what were your initial thoughts when you first heard that moniker Electroclash?
1: I fucking loved it. I was for every second of it. I knew that something was happening and that it was epic. (laughs) Basically, here's the thing. I had come from the indie rock scene in New York and hip hop scene. And I was very much, you know, what they called like backpack rappers. It was like underground rappers who would just like hang out in a cypher and rap. And when I blew up with Bad Babysitter, everyone called me the female Eminem, which was so annoying, but I was also (laughs) flattered, you know, but I was also like, I'm not like somebody else, like I'm me. Yeah. Anyway, so I was squarely in the hip hop scene. Okay. And so I was doing these like big gigs, opening up for like big artists, in hip hop. So, you know, like everybody from like Beanie Seagull and like Pharrell and N.E.R.D. But as I was getting bigger and bigger in Europe around like 2000, actually, it was DJ Hell from Gigolo Records who was like, you have to come to the Love Parade and also like DJ. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to really DJ, but I'll just learn, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, he took me up to the top, like in the love parade, you like DJ up these towers and you just see people for miles. It was the coolest thing I ever saw. And he put on House of Jealous Lovers. And I was like, oh my God. He's like, yeah, you know, they're from New York. And I was like, no, I don't know. I didn't know. <laughs> and He's like, wow, they're, they're so cool. And then he's like, come DJ the after party. So I was like, um. oh, you know what, I had heard too many DJs put Missy Elliott over ACDC. And I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. I was like, I'm gonna put Hava Nagila over DJ Assault, Ass and Titties. Oh, sick. <laughs> yeah. And I was in Berlin, right? And I barely knew what I was doing. But I was playing that. And then of course, Peaches and, and I was looking out at, at the audience. And I was like, wow, these people are like covered in glitter. They look amazing. I don't like playing at hip hop shows, okay? It's like white dudes looking (laughs) at me with hoodies on and like they like me, but like their arms are folded and like I can't they are too serious to dance. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, fuck hip hop. I'm going to, (laughs) and I say that with love. I love hip hop. But like, I was like, whatever this is, this is what I want to do. That's really how it happened.
0: There was something so fun about Electric Clash. I really like it. As a moniker, when I first heard it years ago, and a lot of Zoomers Gen Z are really embracing this moniker, Electroclash. But what's funny to me and what's interesting is that there was a moment where it seemed like some people resented the label, or they didn't like the label, or they felt it was too much attached to like a fashion scene. I remember watching interviews with Felix the house Cat and him saying that he wanted to move away from the label, and and Miss Kitten saying that she felt pigeonholed and, and Lady Tron saying that they were making that kind of music before it was a term. And did you kind of see any of this when you were in that era, like people kind of well, wanting to poop the You have name? to understand,
1: like part of being in that era was like, you're too cool for school. Yeah. Just like the hip hoppers were like too cool to dance or whatever. There was like a lot of that sort of like, I'm an artist and I will not be pigeonholed. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I'm, I'm too cool to be a, in a genre. And there was also drama over the name. I don't know if you know this, but like Larry T and um, DJ Hell were like in a fight about Electro Clash. Did you know about that? I think
0: I heard about this (laughs) something with Larry T,
1: yes. Yeah. So and I was friends with both, obviously, like very good friends with both and made music with both. And I really credit DJ Hell for even like turning me on to this music at all. But I think it was like Larry said he invented the word, but like DJ Hell was supposed to have invented it. And then it was like, Larry was doing a club like Berlin, ibsburg or something like he's. Yeah, I can't say it. It was like Williamsburg meets Berlin, and then DJ Hell said that was cheesy. And then I don't know, there was like beef. <laughs> it was so funny that watching these two, like you know, who just shouldn't be fighting at all. Like,
0: well, whoever invented the term, they're both like iconic figures and staples of that scene, and are very much like attributed with how that kind of unfolded and the music associated with it and the parties that were happening. For
1: me, what really, really classifies it is like Arthur Baker's return to New York parties. Like that was like the symbol of the times and the most amazing party you could go to and play and perform at. And I used to play his parties all the time. It was just epic. And the thing is about that music is that it was just so cross genre. It was like punk rock techno meets like disco house, you know, hip hop, like yeah. literally. And so people didn't want to be like in a genre at all because it was just like music.
0: Yeah, I can see why people, you know, resent the genres that they are associated with. But I thought it was such a cool name. And I still really think it's a cool name. I like it too. What I kind of wanted to ask you about it is like, when this genre was coming up, did you th- see that it would have this impact in the future, like that it does now? How much, like, young artists are very much influenced by it and creating music that is adopting the soundscapes of it?
1: I mean, I knew that we were part of something huge and awesome at the time. I guess you never know, like, how it would impact the future. You know, it's just like, You're always just like so in the present moment. Yeah. You know, at the parties and just doing your thing. I mean, it is wild for me to see how like people blew up or didn't, you know? Like that's interesting to me. Like I remember seeing like Diplo. He used to like play to like five people and he was like, oh, I got this cool music from like the favelas in Jamaica. And uh, he would like play this really cool shit that, you know, later on. He became huge for yeah. That was really interesting, and it was a trip for me to see LCD Sound System blow because all I knew was James from Pony that that band, <laughs> and also softball. We used to play like um like rock and roll softball in Prospect Park in the nineties. That was so oh, that's fun. sick. <laughs> oh yeah, it was super fun. Yeah, James was there, and he's he was always really nice because I once I got hit in the head, and he like helped me <laughs> with oh, the ball. That's amazing. <laughs>
0: Well, another song of yours that I really like is Licky. And that was a collaboration between you and Larry T. Right. I love that song like so much. I DJ that song a lot. Like how did that song kind of come together?
1: That was awesome. Larry had an idea for Licky. And I was like, okay, cool. He played it for me. And I was like, that's cool. But I want to rap on it. And he was like, okay, sure. Do whatever you want. Because he wanted me to just sing initially. So thank God I followed my guns because I I rapped on it. And then Hervé chose that bit to remix and just became that undeniable Licky that you probably DJ because the original is just kind of like, okay, but the Hervé mix is the sick one. That also started blowing up and like Justice put it in their DJ sets and, you know, got into a couple films as well. And yeah, I love Licky too.
0: Yeah, it's such a good song. I'm trying to remember what song I blend it with now. Licky um, goes into – I think it's a – I think I actually blend it with Fisher Spooner, so and people go crazy for it. So oh, That's perfect. <laughs> I kind of want to talk about, like, being a mom. Like, how has that influenced you creatively? Because you have you have this amazing EP – ridiculous songs I made while having writer's block. You have these new tracks that are really good. Like, Who Am
1: I Now? I love like the beat. Well, you would, you would, because it's like from 2006. So like, that's exactly here. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's um, Sleepy Hollow is the name of the track. Stefan Goldman. I used to put that in my DJ sets. I I loved it. So I just rapped on it. The ridiculous songs I made while having writer's block is exactly what it says. I I sometimes suffer from writer's block, although I feel like I've busted out of it, thank God. But when I was having writer's block and just like, oh God, what am I even gonna write about anymore? Because you have to understand, I've been doing this since like, you know, early 90s. And then at a certain point, you're like, does anyone even fucking care? You know, I don't have that fame and like that I used to, right? Yeah. And that's also the theme of like, who am I now? I just decided to like, lay it all out on the table. Like, this is my self doubt, you know. But when I was having writer's block, I was like, I'll just make stupid shit that I'll just put on Instagram and TikTok like that nobody will hear or whatever. And of course, like <laughs> this song I did called Costco Ho. Yes, I love that song. That went viral last year you know it's like it's it's hilarious and it's so good but I had to sort of just break through my writer's block and just kind of do shit that like I was just dumb in my opinion but like fun but dumb you know and not be serious
0: the music video for who I am now is so good (laughs) I love that music video just even your songs off ridiculous songs I made while having writer's block move your asses it's time to do taxes is like (laughs) that's my new taxes song of course but it's just so good (laughs) You just seem like a fun and nice person that anybody would want to party with or have a night out with. Like <laughs> when I watched your made episode, which thank you, I think you put it on YouTube. I was looking yeah. back at that. I remember watching that episode when it aired and like just how nice you are and just how fun you are. Like you're just an artist that's always been ahead of your time and just so like I just really think a lot of you and I'm excited to hear what you write next.
1: Icy cream is so good too. Oh, thank you. Well, first of all, thanks for saying all those nice things. I you know, like uh yeah, it's it, it is incredible to get to be a mom and then also like help other people. and um, I hope to inspire other people too to just like keep doing their art, like that's something that's really important to me because I've gone through so much like success, failure, you know, getting fucked over, bouncing back. And so I do hope to inspire others. Like if it's in your heart to make your art and do that, then you need to do it. So thank you. And Icy Cream, that was another track that I sort of lifted from like 2009, I think. I just was like, you know, I'm just going to start rapping over those old tracks because that's what I like. I like that music. And they're so good. So why not?
0: I wanted to ask you about like, what inspires you daily?
1: Okay, well, I'm not sure what inspires me daily. But I do have like a discipline, which is that I try to work on my music for 10 minutes a day. That's the kind of minimum. And I would say 90% of the time I don't want to do it, but I do it anyway. So I think that that's really important for artists to show up and have some type of like daily commitment, even if it's 10 minutes. And actually, it doesn't have to be an artist. Like, what's your vision for your life? Show up for it 10 minutes a day, you know? Take one day off. That's what I do. But I I guess I can be inspired by if I hear other artists doing cool shit or like see it on TikTok or. Instagram. I can definitely be inspired by other people doing stuff. Like I just saw on Instagram, he's so funny. He's like, fuck you, I'm late, Mark Ribio <laughs> or something. I forget. Like, <laughs> I need to check this out. Yeah, yeah. And I'm saying his last name wrong, but oh gosh. If you look up, fuck you, I'm late, you'll see it. But like, of course, my daughter is very inspiring. And it's actually interesting because she's a musician, like through and through. She's a songwriter. She'll just go, she'll be like, Mom, I'm writing songs, and she'll go in her room for hours and write the most amazing songs. So I'm actually working on getting her record produced. And her name is Siren, Siren Ortega. She already has a little something up on Spotify. So check her out.
0: We'll tag her in the description for this episode.
1: Yeah, yes. She's only 11 and she plays all the instruments on her EP that's up wow. now, but her next record is whoa, it's bananas. She inspires me because she's like the opposite of me. She's like, Going to song right now, see you later. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, and I'm like sitting with my 10 minutes, like, oh.
0: <laughs> But that 10 minutes is good. Like, that's what I tell people who are like trying to get back into reading. I know sometimes like our attention spans feel fried, and like people are like, Oh, I wish I. Had the attention span to read books these days and i'm like just take 10 minutes each day and then you're gonna discover that you've read a book and then you're like reading again you're going back I into reading that. yeah but that's so cool for your daughter i'm like that i'm really excited i feel like you're just like the best mom to creatively like influence and just like be a supporter of her work so Aww, thank yeah you. i can't wait to hear it <laughs> i kind of just have a few last questions for you i wanted to know if you could have like another song of yours used in a movie who would that movie be directed by and why? Oh, jeez.
1: Well, I mean, I always loved like Quentin Tarantino for sure. Yeah. That would be sick.
0: I could picture Costco Ho in a Quentin Tarantino <laughs> that film. I think epic. it could happen. <laughs> well, manifest it. Yeah,
1: it's like manifesto. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. What's your like go to karaoke song? I gotta know. Do you do karaoke? Guess what? I got to do karaoke with Miss Kitten in Tokyo. Oh wow! That was pretty much the high point of my life. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Oh my god, that was so fun. She's amazing. She is so sweet. You guys like the most kindest person. Oh, you know it's just so fun watching her do karaoke. But I always do. Cause I'm a cowboy on a steel horse I ride cause I'm it, so
0: <laughs> dead or
1: alive.
0: That's such a good song. That's a fun Yeah, song. I
1: like to say I've seen a million faces and I rocked them <laughs> all. <laughs>
0: And that's what you've done. Yes. I'm curious to know, what song did you
1: sing with uh, Miss Kitten, though? I'm trying to – that's what I was like, oh, you got to tell them what song you guys did. And now I can't remember. Like, of course, I'm just going to be like um, – I'm sure it was iconic. Whatever islands was. in the stream, you know, like Dolly Parton. And- <laughs> <That> was amazing. <laughs> we should have recorded that, man. I, we could have put that out. There's still time. <laughs>
0: My last question for you is, do you still have that Dior
1: halter top
0: that you wore in your maid episode?
1: I so wish I did. You know what? It was actually a bathing suit, believe it or not. So, Oh, okay, it was, that makes sense. Yeah, it was a bathing suit and it had that like nameplate thingy. And you know, I wore it every year to the Miami Winter Music Festival. <laughs> and like, I just like till that thing, that nameplate turned green. So That's amazing. I, I had to throw it out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's like me. If I have a favorite item, I just wear it to the ground. It's not like a time capsule item. It's never going to be in my closet in the future. I'm yeah. going to wear it out.
1: I try to save my stuff, you know, especially for my kid because like, I yeah. know, you know, but like, yeah, it's like sometimes you just wear it to the ground.
0: What about the Chanel hat? The like winter Chanel beanie? Oh,
1: Lost. Lost somewhere on tour, you know, in like Birmingham or something in England.
0: I've always loved your style. So you must have like a really great closet. And I'm sure like... Yeah, my Siren kid and her be. friend, yeah. when they
1: do sleepovers, like they always go in my closet and put my clothes on. It's so funny. I'm jealous.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the pod. It's been so great talking to you. Again, I'm like such a super fan of you. And I was even nervous to record this today. I'm like, I've been listening to your music for so Aww. long. And like such a big part of even like my brother and I's relationship like he would show me certain music and yours is like one of the albums that I remember the most my machine so it's like really really cool to be talking to you today so thank you so much for coming on the pod yeah and for listeners make sure to follow princess superstar on instagram at princess superstar and on tiktok at the real princess superstar see you later bye See you later.